This morning, we are very fortunate to have with us United States Senator Tammy Duckworth. She is an Iraq war veteran, Purple Heart recipient, and former Assistant Secretary of the United States Department of Veterans Affairs. She served in the Reserve Forces for 23 years before retiring at the rank of Lieutenant Colonel in 2014. She was elected to the U.S. Senate in 2016 after representing the Illinois 8th Congressional District for two terms. Senator Duckworth serves on the Armed Services Committee, the Environment and Public Works Committee, the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee, and a Small Business and Entrepreneur Committee. She has been recognized by the Center of Effective Lawmaking as one of the top five most effective Democratic senators and the most effective on transportation issues in the 116th Congress. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a warm Ag Roundtable welcome to Senator Tammy Duckworth. Hello, everyone. It's so great to see you all again today. Um, so great to be here with Illinois Farm Bureau. And, and this is my first candidate forum of this cycle, and I thought no better place to be than uh, with Illinois Ag. This is how I wanted to kick off my campaign for re-election. And I remember six years ago when I first showed up here, I saw Rich and I saw uh, uh, all the folks with the soybean growers and the corn growers, and I said, you don't know who I am. I represent a suburban district of Chicago, and I know they looked at me with skepticism, like, what's this, what's this gal gonna know about farming? I said, just let me through the door. Give me a shot, and let me through the door. Um, and if I win, I'm gonna work as hard as I possibly can for you. And uh, they have been partners with me ever since. Uh, I, I call all the time and say, I don't understand this, I don't understand that, let's work together. And I think we've been able to do a lot for agriculture, especially here in Illinois. You know, agriculture is the cornerstone of our state's economy and the core of who we are as a state. For generations, our Illinois farmers and ranchers have helped feed and power our nation, and I'm working hard to ensure that you can continue to do so for generations to come. Paul was telling me that he just got the fifth generation, new baby, boy born uh, just a couple of days ago, so fifth generation on this farm coming um, uh, has joined us. Um, look, not everyone knows, but I've been interested in agriculture since long before I ran for Congress. Most folks know about my military background. But what you don't know is that I worked for the American Farmland Trust when I first moved to Illinois 30 years ago. And my job was to go out and convince farmers to just let us have a, just, just set aside a small parcel and, and try some no-till farming. Uh, let's, let's not disc that, that, that parcel over and let's do some no-till farming there. And this was in the early 90s. Um, when we were still having brownouts uh, come fall, when we were still uh, losing so much topsoil in this state. And that was really the beginning of my interest in, in agriculture. So when my husband, Brian, was based in Kiwani with the National Guard, um, where he was the executive officer, um, I got to witness firsthand the other side of agriculture, which is livestock. And so many of our, uh, the boys in that, in that uh, company were hog farmers. Um, and so I got to go out and, 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 and listen to them and, and hear them, you know, the issues that, that they were facing as, as hog farmers. Uh, and now I've learned things such as uh, the fact that, you know, when you're transporting livestock, uh, artificial time 
constraints put on the driver uh, really hurts livestock because you can't just pull over and park livestock in a rest area and think that you're going to be able to you know, get up the next day and, and, and all of your livestock is going to still be alive. Um, so you've got to make sure that when you come up with re regulations, it's sensible. It is something that achieves uh, the practical solution of what you're trying to do, um, but also you know, uh, uh, still meet the intent of what you're, trying, what you're trying to accomplish in terms of health and well-being and safety as well. Um, so that I learned from Kiwani, um, and I got to witness the, the election of the hog queen more than once. So uh, 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 the talent competition was really interesting. <laughs> um, when I came to you all six years ago at this very event and asked you to listen to me and then hopefully elect me to my first Senate term, I, I said that you could count on me to do two things, to push for economic policies that serves all of us, and to work on securing the resources you need to grow your businesses and bolster our local economy. And I'm really proud to say that I've made that, I've kept that commitment. And I just want to share with you some of the efforts I've led as your senator to support Illinois farmers. Over the past six years, I've been an outspoken leader in the Senate for incentivizing and expanding the use of American, American grown biofuel and biodiesel. Because when given the choice between supporting Illinois farmers <clears throat> or foreign oil producers, I'm going to choose Illinois farmers every single time. It's why we need year-round sale of E15. I push for it, and I'm glad that President Biden issued a temporary waiver on E15 for this summer, but that's not good enough. I'm going to keep working as hard as I can to make it permanent, permanent year-round E15. And by the way, permanent year-round E15 is a deficit reduction. So it's a cost savings. It's, it's crazy that we're not doing it. Um, I've consistently worked across the aisle with our Midwestern senators to introduce common sense bipartisan legislation to expand E15. These efforts not only help our farmers, but help bring down prices at the pump for working families, decrease carbon emissions, and reduce our reliance on foreign oil. This year, I helped introduce two bills. The Home Front Energy Independence Act. I did that with Senator Joni Ernst, who's my uh, uh, fellow partner here. She's also a retired lieutenant colonel, just like me, also Army. Whoop. Um, uh, uh, so we do the Army to Army, Army Chick to Army Chick conversations all the time. But this bill is going to make E15 available year round and establish E15 biodiesel tax credit. That's the Home Front Energy Independence Act that we're working to, uh, to get passed. And then the Next Generation Fuels Act. We talked about this last night. I was really proud that I co-introduced that with Senator Grassley to allow for the incentivized sale of fuels with higher octane levels like ethanol. And we can't support biofuels without ensuring that the RFS is strong. So I will always continue to oppose any efforts to, re to lower the RVOs. This is critically important because you need that base demand that you know that you can plan for, that you can make the investments that you need in order to sustain production and also so that you can actually know what's in front of you. And this, this yo-yoing back and forth, back and forth, you know, 15, 12, you know, billion gallons, 15, 12, 11, this is wrong. The last time I had, before they, um, the EPA issued the new RVOs, I had some very tough conversation and I said, do not come back to me with anything less than a 15. And, and we were able to do that. I wish it were higher, but at least 15 gets us, fixes the problem from the previous administration and gets us to a, a good place. Not the best place we can be at, but a good place. I'm going to keep working on that as well. We also worked on getting rid of these small refinery waivers that allow uh, uh, major oil producers to skirt around uh, the, the RFS. Uh, I'm really pleased that we were able to get that done as well. I've pushed back against both the Trump administration and the Biden administration. 
when they've tried to lower ethanol requirements because it doesn't matter to me if you're a Democrat or a Republican. I will always do whatever I can to ensure that we're upholding the promises made to farmers. Just a few weeks ago, Senate Democrats passed the most significant investment in biofuels since the RFS program was created um, with the Inflation Reduction Act. One of my top priorities when we were working on this bill was making sure energy incentives included biofuels, and I'm very proud to say that, we're, that we got it done. And there's $500 million in there for biofuels. Um, and it was part of the negotiation that was happening with the overall package, though, was at one point uh, we were trying very hard to make sure that we lowered the deficit. With, with the spending that's in that bill, we wanted to do the spending, but in a way that wouldn't increase the deficit. And we wanted to reduce the deficit by $500 million. And I had to stand here and I said, do not touch, do not touch biofuels over my dead body. If you touch biofuels, I will not vote for this. And so we were able to protect the buy the 500 million for biofuels. They found it from somewhere else, but uh, we were able to put that in there. And that is going to be significant, significant in growing uh, biofuel production in this country. I'm very proud that we were able to get that done. And, and Senator Klobuchar in Minnesota and Senator Debbie Stabenow in Michigan were my two partners on that. The new law, this $500 million, is going to provide significant support for infrastructure improvements, for blending, storing, supplying, and distributing biofuels. It establishes a sustainable aviation fuel tax credit, and it extends tax credits for biofuels as well. But this isn't just a win for us here at home. Strengthening biofuels is a matter of national security. Some of you may have seen me in the last couple of days. I feel very strongly that strengthening biofuel, strengthening ag, is a matter of national security. And, and sometimes, you know, when I talk about my interest in renewable fuels, folks ask me how I became so interested in America's energy sector. And I tell them that it starts with my experience near, nearly two decades ago in Iraq. Um, that was a war fought, in part over foreign oil. American boys and girls bled and died uh, because our nation said this was important, and they went, and I went willingly. But the fact is we shouldn't be fighting over, over foreign oil. We shouldn't be having to be cozying up to countries like Saudi Arabia uh, with their human rights violations just because they control oil. I don't want us to become a nation like that, that exists in a place like Eastern Europe does, forever beholden to Putin. We can't be that. And a strong ag sector that can feed America, a strong ag sector that can grow and fuel America with biofuels is critically important to our independence and our ability to lead the free world. You know, also in Iraq, one of the things that happened was that 50% of all the casualties in Iraq occurred not when you were kicking down doors trying to kill the bad guys. 50% of the casualties in Iraq occurred during convoy operations, and 80% of the convoys were conducted to transport diesel fuel. Think about that how many troops we could have saved had we had more biofuel generating capability, had we been able to provide the biofuels ourselves and not have to rely so much on, on, on diesel fuel. My work in the Senate hasn't just focused on biofuels. I've also worked on partnerships internationally, on trade, because I do sit on the Commerce Committee and I want to make sure to represent uh, our commodities and, and other uh, products overseas. Earlier this year, I went to Taiwan and South Korea to highlight how Illinois is uniquely positioned to increase partnerships as a hub of agriculture, manufacturing, technology, energy. Our state is poised for greater investments to increase exports with international partners. I was proud to give Illinois a voice internationally, and I'm going to keep pushing for these efforts as well. And we've already seen how my advocacy will help bring investments to Illinois, because after I met with LG 
uh, twice this past year, um, they just announced a partnership with ADM Indicator for the U.S. production of plant-based solutions like bioplastics. And that plant-based solutions for bioplastic is what's going to take ethanol from being so already fuel efficient. It's going to bring it to a carbon negative status. If we can really refine carbon capture and sequestration, put the excess carbon into the ground, and underneath us right now in this great state of Illinois is a limestone layer topped by a bedrock layer that would keep the, the carbon underneath. We can actually, in this state, produce carbon, net carbon negative fuel, and it's going to come from ethanol. And that is really critical. And, and that, the creation of plastics will bring that even more negative, and that is an advantage for us. You know, when I was... Uh, when I was... As I've been serving for the last six years, um, there's been a lot that we've been working on, but I, I gotta tell you, I'm so proud of the bipartisan infrastructure law that we helped pass this past year. And it was bipartisan. Roy Blunt of Missouri worked with us and, and, and voted for it as well. Um, there are so many provisions in there that I worked on um, that will include our inland waterways um, uh, and, and really all of the money that was put into the improvements of the locks and dams on the Mississippi. I am really, really proud of the work that we did to um, really elevate NESP um, uh, to a higher level within the priorities of this nation. For too long, we've been waiting for too long to get this project off the ground. Um, in these last six years, I've been able to become the chair of the Air Land Subcommittee, um, which means I'm now in charge of the Army and the Air Force, which means uh, Army Corps of Engineers answers my phone calls when I call them. So we were able to elevate NESP, the work that we're doing also with... Uh, um, uh, Lock 25, all of that is critically important. Um, and this isn't just a theoretical thing. Um, my staff's going to pass around something for you to see. But uh, back in the 90s, I actually floated the first major movement of military equipment down the Mississippi by barge since the uh, uh, Civil War. So I understood how important and critical barges were, and I also how challenging our lock and dam situation is in this country. It's first-hand experience. We're going to send around pictures. I know. It's bad when you look at pictures of yourself in your 20s, and you're like, wow, that's like ancient. <laughs> like, that, that was me at my fighting weight? Oh, crap. <laughs> but, um, you know, as we look forward to 2023, um, we're all thinking about the next farm bill. Uh, I made sure to have input from Illinois farmers, and I can't say enough I cannot say enough about the Farm Bureau, the corn growers, the, the soybean guys. Um, uh, they have always been there. Rich, your team, you know, I can pick up the phone and call you anytime uh, uh, and then say, hey, you know, tell me, tell me what the difference of an RVO at 12.5 at and 15 is going to do to you. Talk to me about um, crop insurance because I want to support it, but I'm hearing from you know, the, the libertarians and, uh, and, and some of these other folks who are, you know, way out there saying that it's, it's, it's a handout, talk to me. Um, and to have that institutional knowledge, that partnership going forward has been so critically important. And just know that I'm going to be there. My priorities for the next farm bill for you includes protecting and improving farm safety net programs like the commodity support programs, the federal crop insurance that I've already mentioned, disaster assistance programs, as well as supporting export market developments like the foreign market development program and the MAP, the market access program. Those are all critically important, and that's where we're going to grow and influence as a nation. As we're trying to uh, compete with China 
and, and these other nations, this is where we can grow in strength because we have the advantage with this great nation and the fertile lands and our, and our farmers. Nobody has what we, has here, that what we have here in America. This is a critical advantage. It's just as important as our nuclear submarines as our F-35 fighters is you guys. And, and this is how we're going to dominate the world and be the leaders of the free world, both in terms of, of the military, but also in terms of the economy and, and making sure that we live in a world that uh, truly supports free market, that supports uh, hardworking families who are doing everything that they can to just live that American dream. So I'm eager to hear from you today. I have like two more pages I'm going to stop reading because um, uh, I'm tired of hearing myself talk as well. Uh, and I would love to uh, uh, answer any questions you may have for me. Thank you, everyone. First question, um, a little commentary prior to. I came and joined the State Farm Bureau organization some 18 years ago. And as a county president, I worked with all the commodity groups to get improvements of our locks and dams and really appreciate your comments here. And I recall a meeting in St. Louis where we all got together, commodity groups, and first time that uh, I could remember, we got together with the St. Louis Carpenters Union and builders and welders, et cetera, et cetera. I don't ever remember that agriculture and unions aligned on anything, but we talked about locks and dam improvements, and really that was a milestone for me. And as time went on, all of us continued to rally for support for improvements of the locks and dams on the Mississippi and Illinois rivers. We had, I don't know how many, Marty, how many water bills that we go through, a number of them. And it's been disappointing over those years that, you know, we passed different water bills and this and that, but the appropriations never followed through very well. And we're really thankful for the infrastructure bill to get more improvements on the locks and dams. And I appreciate your comments with regard to um, the improvements of 1,200 foot locks to move goods that we produce here in Illinois down the river and bringing products up, not only for agriculture, but for commerce. The question here is how do we build off of the successes of new federal dollars for a new 1,200 lock and dam system on the upper Mississippi? How can we continue to work on that and get dollars appropriated for improvements for everyone? Um, well, I'm gonna keep working on it. If I, when I, if, if I get reelected, this is one of my priorities. It's one of the reasons why when I joined the Senate, um, I joined the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee because that's where the money for infrastructure was coming from. Um, and then I chose on the environment, to be on the Environment and Public Works Committee um, specifically because I wanted to be in charge of the uh, fisheries, wildlife, and waters portion. And that, I'm chairwoman of that subcommittee as well. So I'm sort of trying to come at this problem from all angles, not just from ag, you know, being on Ag Committee, you can work on the Farm Bill, but this allows me to work on all the infrastructure projects. And I'm really proud that because I can pressure the Army Corps of Engineers, um, because I can push from Transportation Committee, because I can push from Public Works Committee, the Corps of Engineers uh, just announced $1.3 billion in investments for 2020, starting in 2022, 
Uh, of that, about 723 million is for lock and dam 25 and 1,200 uh, 1, foot uh, uh, lock. And then also um, overall, it's looking at the NASP, all that money is dedicated towards NASP. And I'm going to keep putting pressure on it. You just gotta, you gotta be the squeaky wheel, and you just gotta, you not, you gotta be like pounding on tables and saying, "This isn't gonna happen. You're not gonna get my support over here unless you get this done." Um, and, and for far too long, the Upper Mississippi has been neglected. You know, folks put a lot of money into the Lower Mississippi, and they have their Lower Mississippi um, um, Association, you know, group, and that's something we don't have in the Upper Mississippi, which which puts us at a disadvantage. But the argument that I've been making is, look. Folks in Georgia, in the Carolinas, are buying their grain, their corn and soybean in particular, from Brazil. From Brazil, because you can get, you can get produce and get commodities from Brazil to the southeastern United States faster than you can float it down the Mississippi because our locks and dams are in such disrepair. We've got to fix this um, uh, so that we actually can get our goods to market. And as you said, the, the carpenters were there. Um, I even had trains. And, and barge operators come forward and say, we'll put money in towards this because it's important to us. And I think, we, I think we've raised the alarm. I think we've gotten everybody's attention. We got this uh, $1.3 billion towards the project, but it's going to need more, and I'm dedicated to getting more and fighting more and seeing this until, it, until it's done. Thank you very much for those comments. Another uh, question. Uh, yesterday you were in Leroy on talking about ethanol and blenders, gallons, and all that. I have two questions here. Um, there is a lot of nervousness about the future of liquid fuels. And uh, you, you, you made comments about how you, you intend to work toward um, uh, carving out a piece of that uh, for, for the future, a place for that in the future. Uh, there's federal dollar per gallon blenders credit for biodiesel. It uh, was extended for two years but transitions away putting the biodiesel industry at risk. Do you support a long-term extension of the blender's credit going forward? I do support a long-term uh, extension of the blender's credit. I, I think it's critical. You've got to be able to plan out, right? You've got to be able to make your capital investments, and you've got to know that you know, some of these credits are going to be there long-term. And, and it can't just be, you know, we're going to renew it every two years, or we're going to renew it in five years. It's got to be a long-term extension, and I absolutely support it. You should know that even as we make investments in electric vehicles and batteries and all that, um, that biofuels are critically important to a carbon-neutral future, not just for this country, but on a global scale. Even if we transition away from uh, uh, combustion engines for vehicles in this country, other nations are still burning uh, coal. They're still burning. Uh, they still have regular vehicles. And we want, I want us to be in a position where they're buying their ethanol and their biofuels from the United States. That we're the number one exporters of biofuels to the rest of the world. That market is going to be there for many, many decades to come. Additionally, we have to grow uh, other, we're going to grow other markets for biofuels in this country in places where electric batteries are just not going to work and aviation is the way to go we have to be able to ramp up and get to a point where we can produce the aviation uh, biofuels that the aviation industry needs at, at the quantities that they need um, Secretary Wilsack, the Secretary of Agriculture was just out here yesterday and he made a very good point he said you know it's great if you have an electric car and when you exceed your range you just roll to the side and charge up 
But if you've got an electric airplane and it runs out of battery and you don't have some sort of fuel in the gas tank, you're not staying up in the sky very long. Uh, and so you want to have that fuel that's there as well. And it's why, um, in addition to supporting the, uh, the fuel incentives and tax incentive within the bipartisan infrastructure law, on my own, I put in a pilot program to develop uh, uh, aviation fuel within the Department of Defense in the defense budget. This is how I'm going, this is how I continue to work is not just looking at just ag and, and one thing, but coming at it from lots of different angles to grow the demand, to grow uh, uh, the continued demand, not just short-term demand for a pilot, but a continued demand and, and demonstrate how, how powerful biofuels are for a green energy future. Um, and and I, I don't think we get there to a carbon neutral future without ethanol or biodiesel. Thank you, Senator. Um, they are shifting gears a bit. To It's really important to each of us uh, here, the different commodity groups, uh, trade is, impacts our lives each and every day. And particularly when we're uh, putting together our marketing plans to have some sense of security. And as, as uh, we've visited with, uh, all the commodity groups have visited with the administration on trade, yes. what can you do or what have you done uh, to encourage the, the administration to get more aggressive on trade deals and to get something a bit more solid. Um, you know, we've heard a lot about China, but is a, is a large um, uh, importer of, of our bulk commodities, particularly corn and soybeans, soybeans in particular, and uh, soybean meal. But if we lose that market, what are our alternatives and our opportunities after that? Please give us some thoughts about how to encourage the administration to get, be, probably be a bit more, um, not a bit more, a lot more aggressive on trade. Yeah, we have to be a lot more aggressive on trade, and I am certainly supportive of, of, of looking at um, uh, reversing some of the uh, previous administration's uh, uh, really negative action when it comes to, to tariffs on trades. I will tell you that um, our commodities are wanted and in demand around the world, and even in China. We have to trade with China. Uh, China is our greatest near-peer competitor. They want to be the leader of the world order, but their future world order is an authoritarian one. Uh, uh, it's not a democratic one. It's not a free one. It's everybody does everything the way China, the PRC wants you to do it, or you get cut off. I'll give you an example. Taiwan uh, was trying to buy the COVID vaccine from American companies, and the PRC, in the middle of a global pandemic, went and told all the countries that uh, uh, were making vaccines, uh, AstraZeneca or the Indians and different folks, if you sell your vaccines to Taiwan, we will not do trade with you. And so Taiwan was uh, basically blockaded off from the vaccine, which is why I went to President Biden. I said, we got to send some vaccines to Taiwan just to show them we support them. Um, and so I flew in in a giant uh, uh, aircraft, created a whole uproar. The Chinese launched like 17 sorties in the Taiwan Straits. It was me and Dan Sullivan, the senator. He's a Marine. I get in a lot of trouble partnering with Marines, I got to tell you. Uh, uh, he's, a, he's a marine colonel right now from Alaska, and he and I flew in in this, in this uh, uh, giant aircraft to deliver vaccine to Taiwan um, to, to break that blockade. But this is the kind of thing that China does. We have to trade with them, um, and it is important because they're a major market for us. And by the way, their, their people want our products. They don't trust the commodities that are locally grown 
They don't trust the food, the quality of the food that are locally grown. And I've traveled to Vietnam and other places that buy uh, uh, DDGs from, from other places. And they're like, this, the feed we get half the time is fortified with uh, antifreeze to, sh to make it look like it's got a higher protein level. Um, and, and they don't want to buy, uh, you know, cons consumers there want to buy American-grown uh, uh, foodstuffs because they know of the quality. So we have to be more aggressive. We've got to push them. We have to trade with them. Uh, but we also, I think, have to really be aggressive all around the world as well. And I'm, I'm glad that we're finally getting some, some trade representatives, uh, rep, reps uh, uh, negotiate, um, sorry, nominated. And I've already called the administration and asked to meet with the two new nominees, uh, uh, both to, in the Department of Commerce and in the U.S. Trade Rep Policy policy office who are going to be dealing in particular with ag policy. And, and we're, I'm going to keep a close eye on this. And I know the trade rep really well, too. So, Thank you very much, Senator. Appreciate those comments. Uh, shifting gears just a bit. Um, where do I want to go here? All right, shifting to US EPA. And you made some comments with regard to US EPA earlier. A question is, what can you do to lessen the impact of over-regulations, particularly with US EPA, when it comes to registration of, of, of old products or new products, and WOTUS, Waters of the US? Um, this is why I wanted to be on the Environment and Public Works Committee, in addition to the infrastructure work, is to be a voice within the EPA committee to talk in a reasonable way about what what we need to do. Um, I think that in an environmentalist community, so you should know, I'm truth in advertising, I got, I have like an A plus rating with League of Conservation Voters, Sierra Club, all of the major uh, uh, environmental group. I have a great rating with them. That allows me to come in and say, listen, what you guys are supporting, um, it doesn't make sense on the ground. And, and to try to be that voice, that moderate voice within these organizations and, and these forums is, and, and also in my conversations with EPA to say, what you're doing is going to prevent our farmers from doing their jobs. And do you really think that they want to poison their own water? Most of the, you know, half of them are, are living, uh, use well water for their own homes. If they poison the ground, uh, they're poisoning their own water. They're not going to do that. So we have to have some level of trust. And we have to have some level of understanding of what we need to do to be competitive, to grow and produce at the levels that we need to produce. But at the same time, yes, we want to protect the environment. Um, and I think some of the ways forward is really going to be looking at precision agriculture, um, allowing you to be much more precise in where you need to add nutrients, uh, where, you know, some of those issues. Um, but I want to be that voice. And I think I have been. I've been that voice fighting within EPA for the RFS. Because I will tell you, while the president supported the, bringing the RFS back up to um, and the RVOs and, and 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 bringing RFS back to 15 uh, uh, um, billion a million gallons, um, sorry, 15 a million gallons, um, it was some folks within the EPA who were opposed to it, and I had to go toe to toe with folks within the EPA and say that's not going to happen. And we won that fight, so I'm happy to have those fights within the EPA. But I think there needs to be a pragmatic approach to it. I do think the EPA does get tend to get taken over by the far left of my own party. And I sort of see myself in there saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's, let's be real here. You're talking about something as if it's a river or a creek, but it's actually just like a dry area most of the year. And occasionally when it rains, there's water there. So let's not treat that like it is, like everything else. But I'll work with you on it. And this is where your, your institutional knowledge has helped guided me in past voters 
um, uh, negotiations and will be there for me as well as we move forward. Thank you. It was shifting again um, to Farm Bill and uh, last week Illinois, at the Illinois State Fair, uh, Congresswoman Bustos at a panel which was represented by all the commodity groups here in Illinois talking about what their membership and their groups are really interested in the next Farm Bill. And one of the comments that I made, I, I, I truly appreciate the bipartisan approach and the support we got from all the legislators in Washington, D.C. with the last Farm Bill, and I'd hope that we can get that again uh, going forward. We need to get this done. Farmers need that risk management tool in their toolbox. We need to work with um, and the different titles need to go forward. But what are your thoughts and what do you see or how do you see things shaping up uh, for the 2023 Farm Bill and next Congress? I think things are going to look good for the Farm Bill, partially because of the um, Inflation Reduction Act. We put a lot of environmental stuff in there. So the environmental groups are really pretty happy with us right now. So I think that takes the pressure off trying to make the Farm Bill an environmental bill. When it shouldn't be, it should be uh, a farm bill, uh, an ag bill. And so I think we, we, you know, we've placated this side and, and, and addressed many of those issues. I think the farm bill is going to be uh, pretty successful. It's, it, I have two priorities going into the rest of the year, the farm bill and, um, and, and the defense budget. That's what when we go back in September uh, to D.C., we're going to be working on. And so uh, uh, know that we're going to push really, really hard. And what's great about the Farm Bill is here in the Midwest, we've got some real bipartisan support with, with Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst working with me, uh, uh, and then also Debbie Stabenow really listening to me. You know, she's Michigan, and she sort of, like, looks towards the upper, upper part of the Midwest to the beet growers and, and to those guys uh, um, and, and in, in Minnesota um, with, with Amy Klobuchar, but she sort of listens to what I have to say when it comes to corn and soybean folks here in the heart of the Midwest, and, um, and having Joni and, and Chuck next to me on that is really helpful. Thank you, Senator. You know, we've talked a lot about commodity groups and trade and everything that, that, that kind of goes along with uh, us grain producers. Uh, shifting gears again, uh, to the livestock side, what are your thoughts on continued funding for FMD, foot and mouth disease, vaccine bank, and in order to protect livestock and, our commo and other commodities, uh, commodity partners, we need to protect our herds from diseases, a disease outbreak in the United States would truly be devastating to agriculture. No, I, I would support it. Um, I would support the, the vaccine bank. I got to tell you, I think when people look at these things, they, they're too short-sighted. They say, well, this is going to cost X number of dollars to do this. And my answer is, we don't do this. How much more exponentially X number of dollars is it going to cost us when we have an outbreak, when then people start having to actually slaughter all of their livestock because of a disease that we could have prevented with a vaccine, with a healthy vaccine program. Um, and so for me, it's more practical long-term. I have the same thing with crop insurance, right? Let's, let's, do, let's support crop insurance because that's farmers helping themselves. We don't need to wait until you, you have a devastation and then you know, FEMA comes in. It costs taxpayers way more money uh, later on if you don't have crop insurance in the front. And so it's the same thing with vaccines, with disease prevention, with uh, allowing uh, livestock producers to manage their, their herds in, in the best way possible in the healthiest way possible so that we don't see an economic devastation because we were trying to, you know, uh, uh, save a little money in the front and you end up spending a heck of a lot more taxpayer dollars down the road. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Senator. Um, one other question with regard to livestock. What is your position on the California Prop 12, and why did you have this position that you took at that point in time? Crop 12 was with the, um, uh, the, that you had to meet, livestock producers had to meet all the um, standards that uh, California put in place uh, for confinement areas and that with, with livestock in order to ship um, uh, meat or products into the California market. Um, that's a tough one. That, that's a state's rights issue. Um, because I was, I'm worried about the reciprocal of that because I don't want states like California to then be able to say for folks that want to do business in Illinois that they have to meet, uh, you know, that, that they can impose California standards. So it's really this, the reciprocal of that. I don't want other states telling us how to do our business, uh, which is why I don't want to be telling California how to do that business. I know that makes it tough when we're trying to sell to them but frankly, it, it becomes a state's rights issue that the folks in the state decides what they want to do within that state. Um, and and it's, it's, more than, it's more than just about ag. It's about all the other issues. And so I just feel very strongly that the people of a state have the right to make decisions for their own state. That's what uh, we are as a nation. Um, and so it, it was more about respecting the sovereignty of a state to make their own decisions because I don't want them imposing what they want to do on us. Thank you, Senator. And uh, last question, going back to renewable energies, if I may, uh, your role as senator, how are you going to balance the push for renewable energy standards, i.e. wind and solar, with the production of any of the need to feed, clothe, and fuel the world population? Well, I, I want us to dominate that conversation. I, I, want, I want American ag. I want to exploit and, and, and the, the power of American agriculture to do that. I want us to have a, uh, I'm agnostic when it comes to really get how we get to a carbon neutral future. But I think that um, if we're going to have subsidies for wind and solar, then we need to have subsidies and tax credits for, for biofuels as well. Um, and I think we're going to get, let the marketplace do its magic and get us to that carbon neutral. Set that carbon neutral date, whatever that is, and let's try to get there. And then I want us to own the technology and the production capacity to provide that to the rest of the world. The, you know, it's why I support carbon capture sequestration. It's why I support clean coal. I would rather sell American coal that's cleaner to India than have the, in, the folks in India burning the much dirtier coal that they have. So let's you know, let's, let's dominate this technology and we be the ones to sell it to the rest of the world. Let's sell them our much higher uh, protein uh, DDGs to the rest of the world and then have them develop their own. And so it's all about, if we're going to invest in this, then invest in it equally across the different sectors of energy. So we, we can't just be supporting wind and solar and not supporting biofuels. That's not right because that, that leads to an imbalance in the system and we're not gonna get to carbon neutral faster. And again, the rest of the world is still using this. It's still so far behind us, and they'll still be needing to use uh, this technology. We should be providing it. We should be selling all this to them, whether it's commodities, whether it is the, the biofuels, whether it is the technology uh, to implement a green future. And let me just remind you, for all the electric vehicles out there, they're still being powered by dirty energy because they're still plugging into a wall, and that wall outlet is coming from you know, a, a power station that is still burning oil and LNG. So, so let's be clear that, 
you know, electric vehicles are great for emissions, but they're not super, they're not 100% clean themselves either. Um, and so I think that we are in a transition phase. I think to get us to that carbon neutral future, we can't do it without biofuels. And then to really lead the world and get us to that, you know, as my, as my seven-year-old says, mommy, did you serve to save the earth today? Is to be able to say to her, you know, yes, I did a little bit because I put $500 million towards biofuels. Um, that's the future I want, and I want us to sell that to the rest of the world. And I think we have the capability and the capacity to provide uh, uh, in terms of commodities and products that the world wants. Thank you very much, Senator. Any closing comments for today? Just, you know, um, for those of you who have I mean, just meeting me for the first time, I'm really easy to figure out. I am a broken down old soldier. Um, uh, my whole life has been about serving this great nation. And, and protecting and defending her. If you want to know where I'm going to stand on an issue, just remember that. Ag is critically important to the national security of America. You're looking at what's happening in Europe right now with Russia's war on, on, on Ukraine. They can't, the rest of Europe cannot feed itself, cannot power itself. A country that cannot feed itself, a country that cannot power itself, a country that cannot manufacture for itself, cannot lead the free world. And we need to lead the free world, as we have been. Because if we're not there, the next nation that's going to step forward is the PRC. And look, I am of half Chinese descent. My, my ancestors walked out of China to escape Mao Zedong. Walked for three years, where my mom was finally born in, in freedom, because they knew what was happening with the communists. That is going to be an authoritarian regime. If we leave a vacuum there for them to fill in, that is going to be an authoritarian world. I do not want my, bra my two baby girls growing up in that type of a world. That means America must remain strong. We must remain the leaders. And we don't get there without ag. We can build all the tanks and the guns and the ships and the helicopters we want, but we can't feed the troops that will fly and drive and operate that machinery, and, and, and we can't fuel that machinery. Then what's the use of having all that machinery? This is about our nation being whole. And the wholeness of this nation means we have a whole, we need desperately need a whole healthy ag sector. And I'm counting on you to get us there so that my girls can grow up in a free world because you're part of it. And that's what I'm all about. So thank you for letting me be here and giving me a chance.